सहनावतो सहनो घुनक्तो तेजस्विनावधीतमस्तु Lord Krishna, Hey Krishna. Several names are used here. Arjuna uses a number of names for Lord Krishna, and Lord Krishna also uses a number of names for Arjuna. And sometimes there is a reason why a given name is used. The word Krishna, of course, is the name. Krishna means black, dark. That's what the word Krishna means. And simply because Lord Krishna was dark in skin, therefore he was called Krishna. That is simple. But Krishna also etymologically means, as we said, this word Krishna is made up of two elements, Krish and Na. Krish means existence, Sutta, and Na means ananda or happiness, so Sadananda. So that which is everlasting happiness is called Krishna or Satchidananda. So He Krishna, Sadananda Rupaha. Or Krishna also is word derived from the root Krish in the sense of plowing. So to plow. So one who plows things. So Bhakta Dukkha Karshana. One who plows away all the pain or unhappiness or sins of the devotee is also called Krishna. He's a so, so sometimes thus Arjuna when he uses a name he has something like this in mind. The Lord you are the one who removes all the pain or all the unhappiness or let us say all the ignorance also from your devotees. And you also are the one who imparts the ananda or happiness to your devotees. So you who suggest that, uh, Hey Krishna, Karmanam Sanyasam Shamsasi. From the discourse that we gave in the fourth chapter, it becomes evident to me that you have been talking about or you have been rather prescribing. You've been prescribing a sannyasa, the renunciation of action. That's what you seem to be prescribing because you praised in a in number of verses the person who is a renunciate. In the fourth, in the fourth chapter, you have a number of verses where Lord Krishna describes a yogi who appearing to perform the karma does not perform anyway. As we said in the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna describes the sannyasi renunciate of the highest order, who is what we call the renunciate by virtue of the knowledge. Not renunciate by way of the life or by the clothes, etc., by any external signs, but renunciate by virtue of knowledge. And as we said, the ultimate knowledge is to discover that I or the self does not do anything. That is, in presence of I or the self, everything gets done. But then self is not a participant. That means there is no complex in the self at all. So just as an actor that plays a number of roles and still he remains unconnected, untouched by all the roles and so also the self of the Atma appears to get involved in all the activities but remains unconnected, untouched by activities. Ever free, ever unconnected, ever unattached, 
ever pure. That's the nature of the self. And one who knows oneself in that way, knows, as this chapter also will explain, that I don't perform any actions, the actions get performed in my presence. And therefore, he knows the self as what we call actionless. In the midst of action, he knows himself as actionless self. In the midst of all the activities, and what, practically what it would mean is that, in the midst of all the activities that are being performed, he has no burden of any activity at all. <coughs> Even when I declare myself as an agent of action, as a doer of an action, there's always a certain amount of sense of responsibility that is in me, and so certain amount of concern will be there, some stress is bound to be there whenever I perform an action, when I look upon myself as an agent of action. Here, that, so every action always produces some stress upon us. Either because of the concern for the outcome of the action, or for the concern of the quality of the action also, that what I do should be done in a certain way, and that I am responsible. The idea is that whenever I feel that I am performing action, there also goes with it a sense of responsibility. Not that the karma yogi is an irresponsible person, but even that burden of responsibility also is not in him. That's the idea. idea is he's totally free while doing whatever he does. And Lord Krishna says, karmanyamipravartopi naiva kinchit karodisaha. He may be engaged in activity in every way and still he really does not do anything. So there are certain karma yogis, there are certain wise people who appear to be doing a lot of activity. There may be others who don't perform any, any, any activities also, but still, as far as wisdom is concerned, they're all the same. And therefore, whether a wise person is active or not, is determined more by the nature of the upadhi rather than by nature. It's not the nature of knowledge that determines whether a person is active or not. So this way, Lord Krishna in the fourth chapter described in many verses this sannyasi, the renunciate by knowledge. Meaning thereby that one should become renunciate. So sannyasam karmanam shamsasi kathayasi Oh Lord, you seem to be telling about, prescribing, or suggesting that one should renounce the activities because that is the ultimate goal that is sought. It is true that the ultimate goal is sought is actionlessness and not inactivity. We should distinguish between inactivity and actionlessness. Inactivity is not doing something. <coughs> that is not what Lord Krishna would ever want. He always wants everybody to do their, do their duty, I mean, do their share. But ultimately he says that may you grow in such a way that in spite of doing all your share, you are as good as not doing still. So that's the evolution of actionlessness. That is what Lord Krishna teaches. So very often that state of actionlessness is interpreted by people as inactivity. And so people feel that if the wise person is actionless, then I should also give up the actions, then I'll become actionless. But actionlessness is knowledge, whereas inactivity is, is, is something that belongs, something at the level of the body and the sense organs. Inactivity means not performing an activity, not performing action. That is withdrawing from the action. Lord Krishna says that is not the means of attaining that actionlessness. In the third chapter, it was said, Na karmana manaramhat naishkarmyam purusha ashnade. That moksha or the ultimate goal of sannyasa is also called naishkarmya. Naishkarmya, meaning the state of nishkarma. Nish means not, and karma means action. Nishkarma means actionlessness. The state of actionlessness also is, is one of the ways of describing what we call moksha, state of actionlessness. If we, ex if we associate action with conflict, with stress, with duality, see another thing is that action also is performed in the realm of duality. Because while an action is being performed, I look upon myself as an agent of action, as a performer of action, and I perform my action upon something that is different from me. An action is usually performed with a desire to achieve a certain end, and therefore, in the realm of duality, action is performed. And when this duality is there, there is always going to be a sense of limitation. Even though I may be good in performing what I do, 
still the sense of limitation does not go away from me because I look upon myself as, as an agent of action who is different from everything else and so limited by a particular role. Actionlessness is when, when one does not feel that sense of limitation at all. One recognizes that even though the action has been performed, even then also there is no dif- duality, there is no division between myself and anything else. So in, in, while appreciating the non-duality, while appreciating the oneness of everything, one continues to perform action. The idea is that this knowledge of non-duality is not in any way opposed to perform functioning in the realm of duality. So it is not that non-duality is opposed to duality. Non-duality is in spite of duality. Non-duality is the very basis of duality, the very truth of duality. And therefore, non-duality is not to be reached by elimination of duality, but by understanding the duality, that duality is something apparent. And even when that duality is perceived, the what is the reality is nothing but non-duality. So we can say that this wise person functions in the world of apparent duality, even while being established a knowledge of the non-dual self. This is what it is. Meaning that, that the knowledge or abiding in the non-dual self is not opposed to functioning in the realm of duality. So Lord Krishna wants a person to do things anyway. But he would rather like you to do it in such a way that the doing doesn't involve any effort at all. It's in the presence that everything gets done. <coughs> or it is knowledge that I know the nature of presence and everything gets done in the presence of the self. <coughs> that is the state of actionlessness, total relaxation. Imagine, you're totally relaxed while doing things. Leisure. So, this is renunciation not from action as much as renunciation in action also you can say. Therefore, Swamiji sometimes talks about activity and inner leisure. So when we say that he enjoys actionlessness, that means that he enjoys an inner leisure in spite of any amount of activity. That inner leisure can be, can be enjoyed only when one is totally free from any kind of stress. One is free from any kind of agenda. One is free from any kind of a demand. One is free from any kind of a goal. One is even free from any kind of responsibility. Because responsibility also arises from a sense of ego, or a sense of individual. I am responsible. We are not saying that he is irresponsible, but responsibility is a manifestation of ego. Understand that. He doesn't look upon himself as responsible also because I, he knows that things get done. There is a whole scheme of things and he is identified with the wholeness and therefore just as the whole universe functions, so also he is identified with the wholeness, with the totality and therefore he looks, he finds himself as just an instrument in the functioning of things and not an agent of functioning of things. In short, Lord Krishna described in the fourth chapter this wise person who enjoys a total leisure in spite of the activity. And that is, that is possible when there is a total freedom from identification with this upadhi, or total freedom from even the sense that I am a performer of the action. And so, how to attain that state? Arjuna, so this is called naishkarmya, actionlessness. Actionlessness is not absence of activity because activity takes place at the level of body anyway. And he does not identify himself with the body, therefore, there also it is said. Person says, I am doing something. And he says, I don't do anything. Now when I say I don't when do I say I don't do anything? When I am sitting quiet, without doing any activity at all. But understand that the state of sitting quiet state of inactivity also is a state of the body, is a state of the mind. And the state of acti- activity also is another state of the body and the mind only. So understand that activity as well as inactivity, both of these are states of the Zupadhi, not states of Atma. 
So when one says that I do not do anything, that also represents an ego, meaning that identification with the Zupadi that does not do anything. And when one says that I do things, that also represents an ego, meaning the identification with the upadi, that does things. So doing and not doing, both of them are at the level of upadi, not at the level of the self. We cannot say that Atma does not do anything also. Because does not do anything is only with reference to doing something. So doing something and not doing something, both of these are applicable only to this body-mind complex. And whether this complex does something or not, Atma, the Self, is of the nature of presence, of the nature of awareness, that informs in presence of which the body-mind complex has different states, which states are described as activity or inactivity. So even inactivity also is not the nature of the Self, understand? Because inactivity is something that is opposed to activity. Atma is not opposed to anything. It is the one that informs everything, that, that sustains everything, that supports everything, that illumines everything, you know, that fills up everything. And therefore, the self is really beyond the ideas of activity and inactivity. But you use some word, and therefore, you use the word actionless. That's the word. As long as we understand, actionless is not something that opposed to action. Actionless is that which is free from action, free from sense of doership, whether action is there or not at the level of the upadhi. That state of actionlessness, people feel, is to be achieved by giving up action. Since the Atma, the Self is actionless, and since the ultimate goal is to avoid in their actionlessness, therefore, people think, that giving up the action is a way to attain that Atma is actionless. And that is why people give up activity. So Lord Krishna said in the third chapter, Na karmana manarambhat naishkarmyam purushoshnude Here Arjuna, understand that merely by not involving in activity, merely by withdrawing from activity, or merely by giving up the activity, it is not that you can attain the state of actionlessness. Because actionlessness is statement, is, is knowledge. And therefore it is, it, is, it is an appreciation of an obtaining fact, and that knowledge you cannot get merely by giving up the activity. Not even by renunciation of action in a formal way that you can attain naishkarmya or the state of actionlessness. Actionlessness is something to be achieved as a result of knowledge. And knowledge is that which is to be achieved as a result of maturity. And the maturity is that which is achieved by karma yoga. So in fact, action becomes a means of actionlessness. That's how Lord Krishna wants to teach him. It is true that a time does come when one gives up the activity at the physical level so that one can engage at an activity at the mental level. Because study of the scriptures and study, contemplation, all of that does involve a, a vigorous mental activity. And that mental activity or preoccupation of the mind with reference to study and contemplation does require that the mind is free from other demands. And therefore, as we said yesterday, in as much as this idea of duty creates on my demand, creates in me even a sense of guilt. So people who have grown in this, the, the, with the idea of the duty, that this is my duty, that I have duty towards my family, I have duty towards my children, I have duty towards the society, or whatever, and thus, one who has been performing these duties all along, if all of a sudden that person gives up that duty and walks out, there is a sense of guilt that I'm walking out and I'm deserting those who are, uh, who are dependent upon me or towards whom I have some responsibility. And so, uh, very often this not performing duty also creates a sense of guilt, etc. So it is not that merely by giving up this duty, 
That is the reason why we have what we call the sannyasa. The formal uh, ceremony of sannyasa or renunciation. Where you can formally and officially, formally renounce the duties. Take up to a different way of life, which is what we call the life of a renunciate. The scriptures can give a consent to this. That yes, if you, disc- if you find that you attain a sufficient level of maturity, you attain a sufficient level of purity, that you are no more now bothered by your inner impulses, that you are able to maintain a quiet or, or a tranquil state of mind without the need of doing anything, then you have reached a state when you can give up the action. Because as you said, even duty also is looked upon as a spiritual pursuit. So in your spiritual journey, the duty of the action has done their part by creating in you a level of maturity. And now you can graduate, that means you can go to the next step of totally dedicating yourself to study and contemplation. Because that is what is required for gaining and abiding in knowledge. And therefore, there is a stipulation of what we call karma sannyasa, formal renunciation of action, or formal renunciation of duty. And the scriptures recognizes, the society also recognizes, and therefore, from that time on, this person has no responsibility, and that means that there are no cla- nobody has any claims upon him. <coughs> he is no more a son. He is no more a father. He is no more anything. So while I am in the householder's life, then I have to perform a variety of roles. I may be father, I may be son, I may be mother, I may be daughter, I may be wife, husband, whatever. And each of these roles has a certain demand that I must respond appropriately to, that, to the demands of the role. What is meant by sannyasa or renunciation is that he gives up all the roles. He is no more father, no more mother, no more anything. And therefore, he is free from the sense of responsibility or the duty. He becomes free from a sense of guilt also. <coughs> now the society or the family has no claim on him. Nor does he have claim on them. It's both ways. Because when I am a part of the setup, then the setup supports me and I support the setup. But when I leave the setup, go away from the setup, then I am not any more able to support the setup, then I also give up my claim on the setup also. That means this renunciate also gives up all his claim. And he is nowhere now, he is on the streets. So what is, now he doesn't have any belongings also. Therefore there is a provision that okay, society will support him. Because society has a value for the knowledge and he has committed himself to the pursuit of knowledge which the society values and therefore a renunciate such as that is given a certain minimum support by the society by way of providing him food and some minimum things that he needs. Supposedly they live under trees, you know, that's possible in India, not possible here anyway, but then he may live in a temple, he may live under a tree, or he may have a small hut. You go out and beg food, that is called bhiksha. And every once in a while they may give him a pair of clothes and maybe an umbrella or something, or a bar of soap or something like that. And that is how his minimum requirements are taken care of. He is basically a non-demanding person. And only thing that he requires is what are the minimum requirements. He doesn't require anything for what we call the pleasure. Because his pleasure now comes from the study and pursuit of knowledge. Person requires pleasures all the time. Except now the source of pleasure has changed. Formerly the pleasure came from activities and came from whatever, you know, these particular householder's life gave him. 
Now his pleasure comes from study, from contemplation. A subtler level of pleasure now he has been able to attain. So understand that we cannot give up something unless we have got something else. I cannot give up one support unless I have got another support. In short, this renunciate is the one who has attained a certain amount of self-sufficiency and therefore has become free from need of external source of entertainment, etc. because he has attained that self-sufficiency, that inner tranquility. It is then alone that one should take and become a renunciate. So, karma sannyasa or renunciation of action should take place when one has attained a certain level of maturity. This is also called vairagya. Vairagya means freedom from raga and dvesha, freedom from passions. So we'll, we'll discuss that in the verse. So when vairagya is there, when one has become free essentially, or largely free from dislikes and dislikes, attachments and aversions, largely free from the need of sense pleasures, it is not that you renounce sense pleasures, but you become free from need of sense pleasures. You can't renounce anything. Renunciation also is not an action that you just give up something. It's not possible. One has to grow out of that by discovering something that is subtler, something that is better. And it is not possible to renounce the pleasures. It is that pleasures have to drop off when one has discovered some subtler and superior pleasures. One has discovered that from one's own self. <coughs> so this is sannyasa. It is sannyasa or renunciation that is taken essentially for the pursuit of knowledge. Formerly also he was a seeker. Even while he was a householder, even while he was performing action, even then also he was a seeker of knowledge. But that time he needed to perform the activities in order to work out things from himself. And now also he is a seeker of knowledge, except that now he applies himself to the knowledge full time, pursuit of knowledge full time. He goes to the teacher, lives with the teacher, lives the life of a brahmachari or a sannyasi. And the only only occupation that he has is to study. Yeah, he may also do certain things like serving the teacher. Or also he may have other spiritual practices such as worship, prayers, reciting. So all of these which are compatible to the pursuit of knowledge. He would also keep on working on himself in, in, in refining himself. So a lot of these virtues are cultivated even while he was a householder. But even after he becomes a renunciate, renunciate he continues to refine himself. Like Lord Krishna talks about these values, amayatvam, adambhitvam. So freedom from pride, freedom from pretentiousness, freedom from violence. So in large measure he has accomplished them while he was karma yogi. But the sannyasi, he continues to refine this. So that also goes on. So on one hand, the study of the scriptures, contemplation upon them. At the same time, refining oneself. So all of this is what a renunciate does. <coughs> He's a pretty busy person. That's why he doesn't have time for those other activities. That's the reason why he has been permitted to give up that responsibility to take up what we call a larger responsibility. So there is called sannyasa or karma sannyasa. It is also called vividisha sannyasa. So I may mention the three kinds of sannyasa that we talked about here. Lord Krishna teaching the Bhagavad Gita. The first stage is Karma Yoga. 
Or you can say it is the first level of renunciation. You know what Vividisha means? Vividisha means desire to know. Desire for knowledge. Meaning there implies that is a formal renunciation of action. It is also called Vividisha Sanyasa. Vividisha means desire for knowledge. That means this Sanyasa or this renunciation has been taken when the desire for knowledge becomes predominant. When you don't want anything else but knowledge, then it is quite proper to take this kind of Sanyasa, meaning the renounce your responsibility, duties and responsibility. It's not that it doesn't do anything, as I say, even after going to the teacher, he may serve the teacher, he may do things that are required, which are compatible to pursuit of knowledge, but all of the activities which now become distractions, all of those are given up. And third, it's called with what? This is essentially what Lord Krishna teaches in Bhagavad Gita as well. And as you will see, even this Karma Yoga also is described as sannyasa, as we shall see. Because there is renunciation involved in every stage, renunciation of something. Here there is renunciation of the likes and dislikes, attachment and avoidance, renunciation of ignorance. And this is culmination of the renunciation where one abides in the knowledge of one being renunciated. And this is the sannyasa that Lord Krishna wants to teach, basically. And these other two are the, are the stages in reaching this sannyasa. This is the scheme of the teaching of Bhagavad Gita of renunciation. <coughs> and then we say this formal, because we have taken this sannyasa, formally. This is spontaneous. So this sannyasa is, there is no formality here. Spontaneous. 
and so on. This is not to be described by any, any, any way of life or any external mark. This sannyasa is associated with the way of life and also characterized by certain external marks like wearing certain clothes, having certain hairstyles, doing certain things, not doing certain things. And so all of this goes with this formal renunciation. With this renunciation, he is free from everything. You may wear any kind of clothes. You may not wear clothes. You do description of sannyasis of all kinds. And you may do something, may not do anything. Ramana Mahashi would be, yeah, fall in this category. Right. So, uh, oh, you know, even now, any, their descriptions will be different. But any wise person who abides in the knowledge would fall in this category. So then, going back to the verse, here Arjuna says, Hey Krishna, Karmanam Sanyasam Shamsasi. You described in the earlier chapter, fourth chapter, this sannyasa renunciation of actions. What Lord Krishna described was a third kind of sannyasa. But generally speaking, as much as that last sannyasi is what we call actionless. And so Arjuna says that actionlessness can be attained only when one gives up action at some point in time. So in, in a way therefore Lord, you are suggesting that one should become, a seeker should become the second kind of sannyasi. That's becoming. That one should become that second kind of sannyasi. So he becomes third kind of sannyasi. And therefore from your discourse in the fourth chapter, it appears that this is what you are prescribing, that one should renounce his activities. Puna yogam tashamsasi. At the same time, you also describe the yoga. You also seem to prescribe the yoga, meaning performance, performance of actions. Particularly in the, the concluding verse of the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna said that, Hey Arjuna, yoga matishth bharata. Hey Arjuna, you give up the action. <coughs> and I mean, you give up the uh, this doubt, chitvainam samshayam yogam atishtho tishth bharata. Here Arjuna gave this doubt. Arjuna had a doubt. Is knowledge superior or action superior? If knowledge is superior, why should I perform the action? Lord Krishna said that action becomes a means of knowledge. And they give up the doubt in your mind. And yogam atishtha, you take up to the karma yoga, uttishtha, arise and do this duty. So Lord, you are asking me to perform action. You seem to be suggesting that one should renounce action because the renunciation is the ultimate goal and therefore the renunciation of action seems to be only appropriate but you are asking me to perform the action this both can be done now Arjuna can do both because understand the second level of sannyasa you talked about is taken form and is taken willfully that I renounce this the third one is spontaneous, there is no will involved in that sannyasa. In second sannyasa, a will is involved. And there is a choice. So Arjuna has a choice. There is no choice as far as whether it is second or third. There is no choice because third is something that is spontaneous, is choiceless. But between first and second there is a choice for Arjuna. Whether to remain a karma yogi, perform the actions, or whether to renounce the actions, both of these can be done willfully. So performance of action also requires a will and renunciation of that type also involves a will that I renounce all my duties. Therefore, it is possible for a person like Arjuna or a seeker to do either of them. Therefore the question, which one should I do? Yashreya etayo ekam tanme bruhi sinastitam Oh Lord, please tell me, what is good for me? Of the two possibilities which are there, understand the third is not a choice. It is an end. This first was a means, the third is an end. Understand. 
There can be choice between the end and means. There can be choice between two means. So karma yoga also is a means for the third one. Karma sannyasa also is a means for the third one. And that being the case, there is a choice between the two means. For example, I want to reach Pittsburgh, um, let us say. So there is, I can, I don't know, I can do, take route 80 or perhaps or some other route. So these two routes, there cannot be choice between route 80 and Pittsburgh. There can be choice between route 80 and route some other, 81 or 82, let us say, if it is there, or whatever, you know. So there can be choice between two means, there can be choice between the means and the end. Like for example, says, Swamiji, should I go to the college or should I become a doctor? That is not a choice. Becoming doctor is end, going to college is a means. Should I go to this college or that college? That choice is there. So choice can be there between the means. And Arjuna here has these two choices. He finds that Lord is suggesting both of them. And he is the one to whom everything is told. So he is told about karma sannyasa also. He is told about karma yoga also. And then he is not able to decide what is it that he should do. Arjuna, understand that Arjuna is a committed seeker. And his questions are all the time as to what is best for him to do so that he can achieve his goal. He is very clear that what he is seeking is nishreya he is seeking moksha. So for moksha which is the attain goal, please tell me which of the two I should yet shreya etayoho. Of these two, whichever one is better. Tanme bruhi, please tell me sunishchitam as determined by you. So you determine what is good for me. That's what Arjuna says. You, whatever is determined by you to be better for me of these two, you please tell me which of the two is better for me in your opinion. Please tell me that so that I can take that up. I can undertake that. <coughs> and Lord Krishna every time replies the question by really giving reasoning. When Lord Krishna makes a statement, a lot of reasoning always goes behind it. Here also, Lord Krishna wants to suggest to Arjuna that it is better that he should continue to perform action. But why is it so? So, Lord Krishna starts now uh, giving reply to Arjuna by giving a background as to why he thinks that Arjuna should continue to perform action rather than renouncing the action. So, in the second verse, Lord Krishna says, Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Sanyasah Karma Yogascha Sanyasah Karma Yogascha Nishreya Sakaravubhau Nishreya Sakaravubhau Tayos to Karma Sanyasad Tayos to Karma Sanyasad Karma Yoga Vishishyade Karma Yoga Vishishyade Sri Bhagavan Vacha, so Lord Krishna said, Sanyasaha Karma Yoga Scha Ubhau Nishreya Ubhau, both of them. Which both? Sanyasaha, renunciation of action. Karma Yogascha and performance of action. Nishreyasa Karo, both of them are means for Nishreyasa. What we wrote in the third step is called Nishreyasa. It's called different by different names. You can know it Naishkarmya. Naishkarmya means state of actionlessness. Nishreyasa, meaning that state beyond which there is nothing, nothing better. So that means Nishreyasa, meaning moksha, the, the limitlessness. The ultimate good. Nishreyasa means the ultimate good. So you call it ultimate good, you call it limitlessness, you call it actionlessness, you call it desirelessness. In different ways you can describe the same thing. So Lord Krishna does use different words in different places. Here Lord Krishna uses the word Nishreyasa. Nishreyasa means the moksha. And so, or liberation. So here Arjuna both this karma yoga as well as karma sannyasa, both of them lead to liberation, 
lead to the third state, which is what we call Vidvasanyasa. Both of them. That's good. Then which one should I do? So Lord Krishna says, Tayostu karma sanyasat karma yoga vishishyate. However, two means however, but Tayoho of these two. Karma yoga, the performance of action as yoga, vishishyate is better than karma sanyasat, renunciation of action. However, here Arjuna, of the two, in my opinion, the performance of action in the spirit of yoga is better than renunciation of action. So karma yoga is better than karma sannyasa. Understand that this is not a general statement. This is a statement that is only applicable to Arjuna. This is a statement that is applicable to Arjuna because where Arjuna is, the kind of maturity that Arjuna possesses at this point, for that, Lord Krishna says, for you is better that. But rather than saying for you, Lord Krishna says, as though it's a general statement, that in my opinion, karma yoga or performance of action in the spirit of yoga is better than Nyayasanityasanyasi Nyeha saha nitya sanyati yaha nadveshti nakangsadi yaha nadveshti nakangsadi the, the, the translation says the person yaha the person nadvesh nakangsadi who neither likes nadveshti nor dislikes gneha he should be known nitya sanyati as always renunciate so Lord Krishna gives here a sort of a uh, different or original or new definition of sannyasa. Sannyasa means renunciation. And usually we would understand sannyasi is a renunciate, one who renounce all the activities, all the duties. But here Lord Krishna says, so that's the conventional meaning of the word sannyasi, the one who has renounced their duties. So Lord Krishna says that even the person who performs a duty understand him to be a sannyasi also. Nitya sannyasi always renunciate. Because in the traditional way sannyasi means the one who does not perform actions, one who is given up actions. One who is given up all the nitya, what we call nitya, naimitya, karma. You know, there are a lot of responsible duties that are there. The Vedas, the scriptures prescribe that a person should perform the daily obligatory duties as well as Naimitya, incidental obligatory duties. So every day you must perform certain acts of worship and on, on special occasions you must perform some more acts of worship. So every day you may perform the worship in the form of Sandhyavandanam or Agnihotra, some, some Homa you may have to perform and on the Purnima on the day of full moon, you may have to do something special, over and above that. On the day of new moon, yet something special. And thus on the year, in, during the year, so many special occasions arise, when you are required to do special things, over and above what you normally do. So these are your duties. So one has duties not only towards family, but one has duty towards God also. And therefore, in my daily routine, I perform specific actions which are of the nature of worship to God. And that worship also is prescribed, that this is what you do. Every day, as well as on special occasions. All, no, all of this is time consuming. All of this also requires your attention. And therefore, you would not have time to do your studies. 
if you had to do those things, as you know very well, if you live a life, if a working life or householder, then there is hardly any time to do anything. Particularly in the United States, there is very little time. Because you work for eight hours a day and you commute for an hour and a half each way, you know, and then that's one thing. And then apart from that also, Saturday and Sunday, I thought the two uh, weekends, two week, two days are there. But no Swamiji, Saturday goes in uh, shopping and Sunday goes in cleaning. And then Sunday evening or sun- Saturday evening we go in socializing. Leaves no time. And therefore, unless one gives up all that stuff, Swami, you have to, but why do you socialize? Why do you have to visit them? Why should, Swami, you have to go? Because after all, you know, when your son gets married in reception, and this, those people are invited, then we should go there. When I fall in, then they come to see me, then I should go and see them. And this is all reciprocal. So they do certain thing to you, you do that to them. So it's all reciprocal. It has to be. And therefore many people, even though they are not interested in many activities still, like many people coming here are not interested in many activities now that they were formerly doing. And still some of the activities are required to do because it is of certain formalities or certain obligations you have. And that takes up a lot of our time and energy. And so it is so difficult even to attend classes one, two, two, twice a month. It's so difficult. Because so many commitments are there. And I appreciate that, you know. There was a time when I had difficulty in appreciating a lot of things, but now I appreciate that this is how it is. Because in India you find people attending classes twice a day, every day. Even though they are working full time, still they have time somehow to attend the morning class and then go to work, commute to work. After, the, after finishing the work, again they come for the evening class. And uh, again they come to satsang, they come to they come to everything. And somehow that set up, even though there are six working days in a week, not five or six, and still somehow that setup appears to allow people to do this. So I thought in the United States now there are two uh, holidays in a week. And there are so many uh, facilities here. I mean you have your vehicles, you have such wonderful roads and you have all kinds of uh, appliances and gadgets at your home which is, makes your work simple and therefore a lot more time should be available here. But it doesn't seem to be that way. And so the idea is that one does, one Swamiji, I want to get away from this, you know. Yes, one requires to get away. If one is ready to get away, fine, the scripture says you can get away. Provided you are going to do something else, not just get away, but then you are going to devote yourself to this. So Lord Krishna says karma yoga and karma sannyasa, both of them can are the means for this vidvat sannyasa, the ultimate. But hey Arjuna, in my opinion the karma yogi is better, is safer but it this way. Lord Krishna says Arjuna, for you I think karma yoga is a better way of renunciation than renouncing action. Why is it so? Because yonadveshtina kaṅshati what is it that karma yogi is able to accomplish? A freedom from dvesha and akanksha. Dvesha means aversion for something. Akanksha means longing for something. So as long as there is longing and aversions, attachments and aversions, as long as these things are there in my mind, Lord Krishna thinks that one is not ready to give up the actions. In short, Karma Yoga or life of activity is looked upon as a means of dealing with all one's internal passions. Lord Krishna says that those inner passions, by passions we mean attachment and aversion, they are all passions. And they themselves give rise to anger. Anger comes only because of attachment and aversion. I want something badly, that doesn't happen, I am angry. I hate that thing and it happens, I am angry again. So anger comes from ragadvesha, attachment, aversion. Fear also comes from that. I'm attached to, I want this badly, Swamiji, I'm always worried about my children, my child. He goes to school and I am always concerned what will happen. Uh, did he get the bus all right? Did he, was he all right in the school? And did he, until he comes home, then until then I'm always concerned. So fear also is a result of attachment and aversion. Attachment also causes fear. 
because uh, I want things to be in a certain way and there is a fear they may not be that way. I want this thing badly, there is a fear that I may, it will be snatched away from me. There is a fear. Everything also brings fear, I don't want this and I am afraid that I may be stuck with it. So, I do not want to be separated from that which I love, but then the apprehension of separation from what I love causes fear, and apprehension of uniting with what I hate also causes fear. So thus, this, these are all the basis for all other passions, all other impulses, all the reactions. Anger is a reaction, that also comes from Raghadvesha, fear also is a reaction, comes from Raghadvesha, and then jealousy, resentment, all of these come from that. So Lord Krishna says that one should work these things out before one is ready to take up a full-time study. That is, before one can devote one's life to this life of study and contemplation, it is necessary that one should be essentially, or to a large extent, become free from all these inner impulses. As long as impulses control my mind, so long it doesn't help me. As we said yesterday, there are two kinds of distractions I have. One is a distraction that comes because of the demands placed by the world upon me, that I must do this, I must do that. Then I can give up. So when I take this karma sannyasa, then I am now renounce all the responsibilities, therefore the world now cannot claim anything upon me and therefore I am free from that distraction. However, there is another distraction or disturbance and that is an inner disturbance. Even though outwardly there may be no demands upon me, there is something within me that places demands upon me. And they are my attachments and aversions. Attachments demand that I must acquire and enjoy something that I like. Aversion also demands that I must get rid of something that I don't like. So there is something inside. The attachment and aversion, they keep on demanding and they don't allow me to sit peacefully, really. How difficult it is to sit, sit, sit peacefully with oneself. Because inner discomfort, inner restlessness, this drives me crazy sometimes. So unless, until I am essentially free from that, I am not ready to live the life of a renunciate. So thus, what we call the life of karma yoga, Life of not karma only, not only life of activity, but life of activity performed in a spirit of yoga. It is not action as much as the spirit of yoga that helps me to resolve these inner passions. What is yoga? Yoga, as we said yesterday, is acceptance of God in my life. It's identification with God, we can say that. Yoga can be said to be a process of identification with God, a process of worshipping God, process of identification with God. And how does it become a process of worshipping God? As I said, what are the actions that I am required to perform because of my duties and responsibilities? What are the actions I am required to perform? I perform them in worship to Lord as an offering to the Lord. That is, let God be pleased by whatever I am going to do. Let God be pleased. But when, when can God be pleased? God can be pleased only when I perform an action in keeping with His scheme. When I become part of His scheme. That means I don't, then I become part of God's scheme. That means whatever I do is in keeping with the scheme of things that obtain, and the order that obtain. And therefore, when my actions are performed in keeping with the obtaining order or obtaining harmony, then you can say that that is offering action to God. Nothing else. What is God's scheme? God's scheme is all these values. And so, non-violence is a scheme, truthfulness, all of this is part of a scheme. Or compassion, sympathy, charity, all of these are the scheme of God. And therefore, when my actions are performed, in a spirit of charity, sympathy, compassion, uh, non-violence, truthfulness. So when actions have this basis, then that action becomes yoga. Because that is an action that is in keeping with the scheme of things. It is that spirit which is purifying. 
It is not karma that purifies or makes me pure and impure. Karma or action doesn't purify nor does it pollute. But the spirit behind the karma is that which purifies or pollutes me. Impurities, let us say that, if I act in a spirit of selfishness, I don't care what happens to other people, I mean all I'm concerned about is achieving my goal and don't care what happens to others. That is, I become insensitive to the needs and the rights of other people and I'm so preoccupied with attainment of my goal that I'm insensitive to other people. Now that is a violent attitude. It is that attitude which creates violence and impurities in my heart. It only supports all the passions which are already there. The idea is that this attitude of violence and dishonesty and, and, and so forth, they only are the conditions where those passions will grow. Like the bacteria always grow in certain conducive environment, so also when in my mind there is an environment of violence, or an environment of dishonesty, an environment of non-truthfulness, an environment of non-forgiveness, when that is the kind of an environment in my mind, then that is, a, that is a con- an atmosphere which is conducive for the encouragement of a passion such as likes, dislikes, anger, greed, etc. They all, you know, find a good atmosphere. But when there is a sterile atmosphere, the bacteria cannot, cannot sustain that. Similarly also, when I create deliberately an atmosphere of non-violence, truthfulness, charity, compassion, then those passions, likes, dislikes, fear, etc., they cannot grow there, they cannot survive there. And so the way to work out all these inner impulses or passions that I have is this attitude of yoga. Is, as I said, identifying not with the ahankara or the ego, but identifying with God, Ishwara. So more of Ishwara in my life, less of ahankara. More of God in my life, less of ego. This is a simple thing. And therefore, I choose to identify with God rather than identify with ego. Ego means all self-centeredness. So there is always selfishness inside because of insecurity. The reason why selfishness is there, the reason why one even compromises the values is because of insecurity. That basically I am an insecure being. What is meant by identifying with God or, or yoga is not supporting that insecurity. How would I function if I felt secure? If I were secure and assured inside, I would never hurt anybody. A person who is secure, who knew that person would not hurt. You will always find that people who hurt others themselves are insecure inside. How would I act if I was fine, if I was complete, I was whole, I was secure? How would I act? I'm not so, but how would I act? Then I would act in the spirit of non-violence. And I would be very charitable, I would be very generous because I'm fine. And therefore we deliberately show that spirit of generosity, etc. As we would say, fake it and make it. You fake the spirit of, of, of generosity, of security, of goodness, as though you are that. And how would you act if you were rich, if you were self-assured, if you were, you know, secure, self-secure? How would you act? You would be generous, you would be charitable, you would be honest, then do that. Then this generosity, charity, honesty will bring that security. In short, live a way of life which is compatible to invoking the spirit of security and generosity within me rather than living a way of life that only invokes insecurity. This is what is called yoga. This is what we call identification with God, if you want to put it that way. Or identification with the order. Or de-identifying with my ego which is insecurity. Insecurity alone brings all these evils. Of course, insecurity itself is a product of ignorance, but it's there right now. And therefore, to slowly and slowly become free from the sense of insecurity, I deliberately perform action in the spirit of yoga, so that in course of time, since insecurity is not a reality about me, therefore it will go, otherwise it cannot go. The reason why I can get over these insecurities and attachments and aversions is because they are not my nature. 
Had they been my nature, there is no way that I can, I can, uh, I can get rid of them. But since they are not my nature, therefore I can get rid of them. On the other hand, this spirit of charity or generosity or offering is my nature. Unfortunately, today, what is my nature appears to be unnatural, and what is unnatural appears to be my nature. So insecurity, etc., appears to be my nature, which is not. And generosity appears to be very unnatural to me. In fact, that is my nature. So we have to reverse the whole process to really get established in our own nature. So all these unnatural things which seem to have taken hold of myself, they become free from their hold. I deliberately act in accordance with my nature. So this is the process of yoga. That's a process of working things out. It is a deliberate effort. Yoga is a deliberate effort in order to work out these inner insecurities, inner impulses, inner passions. And therefore, a person who is doing this is also a sannyasi. Because he is renouncing. What is he renouncing? He is renouncing or giving up those inner impulses or passions by deliberately adopting a value of yoga. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, Gnyasta Nitya Sanyasi Yona Dvishtina Kaanshari Hey Arjuna, may you know this to be always a sanyasi, even though he may be fearing to perform activities. And therefore, in the formal sense, he cannot be called a sanyasi or an enunciate, but in the sense of the spirit, he should be called a renunciate. And therefore, people have fascination with renunciation, really. Particularly in India, people who have fascination for renunciation. And then it looks good also. You see renunciate people having nothing to worry about and so it sounds it's very good. Lord Krishna says, yes, you also may remain renunciate. But in this way, renunciation in spirit rather than renunciation in form. So karma yoga is renunciation in spirit. Karma sannyasa is renunciation in form. And vidvat sannyasa is renunciation in nature. <coughs> so this is how Lord Krishna says it is renunciation. We'll continue our discussion in the evening. <coughs> Om Purnamadah Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punakunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Yoma Vadhyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurthaya Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om